This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. things we frequently discuss on Good Together is disrupting daily habits and replacing them with sustainable alternatives. This can make a huge difference in the world. One thing we all do every day in some form or fashion is get dressed. Yes, even in the COVID-19 era, sweatpants still count. In today's episode, Lisa sits down with Elizabeth Klein, author of The Conscious Closet, The Revolutionary Guide to Looking Good While Doing Good. I had the chance to pick up this book last year at our Good Together Live event. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to repeat this event this year just because of social distancing, but we'll pick it up next year. And I personally was fascinated with Elizabeth's take on why sustainable fashion is one of the easiest ways you can make a difference every day. In today's chat, Elizabeth and Lisa discuss how you can build out a conscious closet, why it actually matters to the planet the impact of secondhand clothing on your daily outfits, and more. If you're curious about sustainable fashion, this episode is right up your alley. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Good Together. As you remember, in our very first podcast, we talked about fast fashion. And now, over a year later, we are more than a year old at this point. We are here to talk to not only about the fast fashion industry, but how you as a consumer can make the change and have a more sustainable closet. And of course, we are living through the pandemic. Our closets look very different. Our fashion choices are very different these days. We will talk about it as well. But I'm very excited to welcome our guest today, Elizabeth Klein, the author of Conscious Closet. Elizabeth is a New York-based author and journalist who has written and extensively researched consumer culture, fast fashion, sustainability, and labor rights, which is very close to my heart in the fashion industry. She has written two books that focus on the topic of conscious fashion, Overdressed is the first one, and The Conscious Closet came out last year, and that's actually how we connected. So, I don't want to talk about you, Elizabeth. Why don't you tell us about yourself, introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, happy birthday or happy anniversary. Congratulations on being a year in. Thank and you. Having these conversations about ethics and sustainability are more important than ever now that we're going through a global crisis. And I, I think you did a fantastic job introducing me. I'm really excited to talk about 
what's going on in the world and what has and hasn't changed because of the pandemic and what people can do. I know everybody is just looking for ways to make a difference right now. Exactly. I think we've said pretty much every episode ever since the COVID hit, we definitely see COVID as the silver lining of the pandemic situation is that people became massively more aware of sustainability, right? Of how we consume, what we buy, where we buy, who we buy from. Rightly has been growing so fast and incredibly almost thanks to this. Yeah, let's talk about the pandemic. I was actually, just last night, I was scrolling through a fashion mailer that I received, and I was thinking to myself, how are fashion brands doing? You know what I mean? I am wearing sweatpants pretty much every day. If I wear a pair of jeans outside, that's, that's an accomplishment. So let's talk about this. That's such a good question. You know, how is the industry doing? I think it was actually Anna Wintour, and I I don't necessarily listen that closely to what she says typically, Mm -hmm. but she said something about how it's a little too early to say where the industry is headed because the fashion industry was more impacted economically than almost any other industry. I feel like even the cruise industry probably looks at fashion and feels sorry for it. Because like, you know what I mean? Like, People, first there was the lockdowns and stores had to close, which means the brands pretty much lost like an entire season of sales. And then because more people are working from home, they're not traveling, that just means demand for apparel is way lower than it was before the pandemic. And we've certainly seen a huge wave of bankruptcies, and it's mostly chains that were struggling before the pandemic. There haven't really been that many surprises but the industry is, it's just in a state of tumult. So I'm always really cautious when I go down the like building back better kind of line of reasoning, because the industry is still in my mind and and from what I'm reading and what I know is still very much like falling apart. That totally makes sense. And it's interesting that you said, I also observed that with other businesses, not even just fashion, as I think you've mentioned this, pandemic basically made it more clear things that are not working, right? Mm-hmm. And for fashion, as we know, things were, especially for fast fashion, things were very wrong. And the fact that they're not able to sell their new products every two weeks, it's not good for the fast fashion brands, but it's definitely good for the environment. Well, right. let's talk about you. Tell us what you're up to before we jump into, into a conversation about conscious closet, about, about your book and kind of how can we be conscious with our closet, even during the pandemic. I'm curious to hear what you're up to, what you've been working on. Well, I've been knitting a lot. I think like a lot of people, my life changed completely when the pandemic started. I had been traveling a lot talking to students and communities about the fashion industry and college students, just like traveling a lot to, to kind of educate people about how the fashion industry intersects with sustainability and human rights. And then when the pandemic hit in March, I had started to work on some new feature story ideas, and I was really interested in returning to Bangladesh. Bangladesh is the world's second largest apparel exporter. The industry is just huge there. What is the first one? Is it still China? It is, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think China is still, even though it's a lot less than it used to be, it's still something crazy, like a third of all apparel manufactured is, is manufactured in China. Vietnam and Bangladesh kind of 
they're in like a battle to, for second place. I was wanting to return to Bangladesh and I was, you know, in touch with some suppliers there and was like working on some stories. So I say all of that because I was paying really close attention to what was happening in the supply chain when the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden I wake up and all over the fashion press is the news that brands were canceling orders in their factories. Yes. A lot of people don't realize that fashion brands place their orders several months in advance and expect the factories to front the cost for fabric and labor. So that I- That's crazy to me. Right, yeah. They, they use their factories like a piggy bank. So I knew immediately what this meant was they were refusing to pay their factories for work that was already done. It was horrifying. So essentially- for the last seven months, I've been part of a, a campaign called Pay Up, which is a, a coalition of different labor rights groups. Remake in the United States has been incredibly instrumental in this campaign. And we build off the meticulous research of the Worker Rights Consortium. There's just a lot of different people involved, but I, I've spent seven months chasing brands down to get them to pay for work that was completed back in January. So that's taken up a lot of my time, but I am still doing a lot of journalism on the side as well. As you know, I was on the fair trade side of things and fair trade is definitely kind of one of my passions. And one of the core fair trade principles essentially is that you pay the deposit because it's virtually impossible for artisan groups or for even factories to front these costs or it's ex extremely dangerous for them in terms of financially, right? Yeah. And to know that big fashion brands, billion, trillion, I don't even know what their revenues are, to cancel it, so what happens if a factory is not paid? So they've produced this massive mm -hmm. amount of clothes for the order for a fast fashion brand. Yeah. So what happens when they are not paid? Are they out of business? Yeah, I, I'm so, so glad that you asked this question. And I think that your point about fair trade working in the opposite way where you pay yeah. up front so important. is one of the takeaways from this crisis, that that is what the industry needs to be doing. And that's part of one of the reforms that the pay up campaign is advocating for. So your question is, what happens to a factory when brands don't pay? The campaign was very focused on large brands. So it was brands that had canceled more than $20 million in orders a piece. In one fact that I was in close contact with, he was out $10 million. This was in Bangladesh. So, so there was no way for him to get that money back. He couldn't go to the bank and get another loan. He had no options. So he had to start selling off all of his property, begging everyone he knew because he wanted to keep paying his workers. So unlike big brands who have endless options for coming up with capital and money whenever they need it, there is no backup. There is no plan B. So if you don't pay them, they can't pay their garment workers and they can't pay their suppliers back. So we pretty quickly saw one factories laying off workers without paying them for work they'd already done, which is a type of forced labor. To me, that is the definition of slavery. And we saw suppliers on the verge of bankruptcy. The devastation is immediate. Think about it. If you and I did work and we were expecting to get $10 million back. Exactly. Your 
future would be over. That is devastating. And I didn't realize that you were also involved in this campaign. Well, thank you so much for sharing yeah. about this and for working on this. This is so, so important because it's people, you know, it's, yeah. it's real people. It's not just brands and sales. Well, let's talk about something different. <laughs> let's talk about your book, Conscious Closet. It came out last year. We actually were looking forward to meet you in San Francisco when we had our event there. And that's how we connected originally. But I know you were busy on your book tour and things are different now. But tell our listeners what the book is about and kind of what is the main message that you want to convey with this book? The Conscious Closet, I see it as an educational toolkit. It's really accessible. I think it's really fun. It's just a way for people to understand how their everyday clothing choices are connected to the environment and all of these other issues we're talking about, like all of these supply chain workers that are all around the world. And it shows people everything from how to donate your clothes more mindfully to how to mend and repair your clothes, which is something that Actually, I was amazed to see people doing more of during the pandemic. I mean, there's also a whole chapter about fashion activism and like how to join other groups to make systemic change. So it kind of really runs the gamut. And probably what I'm most proud of about the book is that there's something for everyone in that book. You know, it doesn't expect you to change everything about how you shop or how you live your life today or tomorrow. It's very welcoming. It's exactly the message with Brightly, and I have the, the book here on my bookshelf as well. In a very friendly, guilt-free way, a lot of our community members who are listening, they still might be shopping fast fashion, but they, mm -hmm. as long as they are realizing their fashion choices and as long as they're starting to think about the consequences, that's already a huge, huge step forward. So let's talk about kind of the consequences. So why is having a conscious closet, quote unquote, is important? I know we had previous episodes about fast fashion and its impact, but for you personally, I want to hear your personal opinion. Why conscious closet, why slow fashion is kind of your cause? When it comes to sustainability, the book has a very clear message, which is that a sustainable product is not necessarily the point. It's more about how you consume and how much you consume. That means that you could buy a fast fashion shirt, but if you keep it for five years, that's exactly kind of what the ethos of the book is about. Also, it kind of goes beyond how people shop to the entire life cycle of your clothes. So again, let's say you bought that Zara shirt and the button yeah. falls off, sew it back on. If it gets a stain on it, that's not an excuse to be like, oh, well, and, and throw it in the garbage. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's really about taking your clothes seriously and valuing the resources and the human ingenuity and time and energy that went into them. I love this. When you were talking about this, I usually wear this t-shirt for my yoga workout. And uh, I probably had it for at least six years, probably eight years. And it looks kind of silly, probably, but I always wear it and I'm kind of proudly wearing it, you know, because yoga industry, unfortunately, it's also very consumer oriented in terms of, you know, the latest outfit and things like that. So I love that point. As we say that you can't buy your way to sustainability, and it's really not about the product, but how you use it. The number one step about being sustainable is really about using up what you already have. The biggest impact that you can make is the 
purchase that you do not make. <laughs> yeah, the like refuse, reduce. Recycle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. In your book, you talk about the three terms that are part of trying to develop a conscious closet. Can you talk about these terms and explain them a little bit? You know what all of these terms have in common? Mm -hmm. there, there's this intense pressure, and I do think the, the pandemic changed this a bit, but there's this intense pressure on us to keep up with trends, to yep. constantly be seen in the newest and the latest thing. And social media is a, is a really big part of that. And outfit of the day culture is a really big part of that. So the fashion fast is quite simply making, taking the time for an intentional break from consuming to slow down so you can really think about what made, motivates you to shop, mm -hmm. what you enjoy about the way you're shopping, what's not working. So you can rebuild your relationship with your clothes and with your closets and build a wardrobe that you actually love and that you want to wear for longer. And closet contentment is sort of like the ultimate final resting place after you go through the whole process of the book. Because currently our fast fashion paradigm is built on just cultivating dissatisfaction. We're never supposed to be happy with what we have. We're supposed to feel out of date, untrendy. So closet contentment is really about getting to that place of happiness and knowing your personal style and knowing what makes you happy when you shop and when you choose a new piece of clothing. And I have to say too, this is a journey, right? It's not like when you go on a diet and you clear out everything in your fridge exactly. and then the yeah. next day you have a fridge full of broccoli and you know, <laughs> a lean chicken cutlet. Like it took me years, 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 years to build a wardrobe that I felt really proud of and I felt like represented me. much for listening. We'll get back to today's episode in just a second, but we wanted to take a break to recognize a few companies that we've partnered with. Right now, there are thousands of ethical brands out there, which can be confusing and overwhelming. This is why Brightly exists. We are your guide to doing good in the world through conscious consumerism. We personally vet and try products from every single brand that we partner with, both on our podcast and on our platform, Brightly.eco, so that you don't have to do the research yourself. Partnerships like this are what helps Brightly and our community grow and increase our impact. Thank you. So, I was in the shower the other day and started thinking... Isn't that where all of the best ideas start? Exactly. So yeah, I was in the shower and looking at all the bottles sitting around, and then I started to think about the waste I was creating with all of these different products. Yeah, it's pretty staggering to think about the amount of plastic we use around the bathroom and for our beauty habits. I've been trying to reduce my personal plastic use, and it's been super difficult to say the least. That's why I was super excited when Plain Products reached out to have us partner with them. Absolutely. So Plain Products is a company on a mission to revamp your routine with toxin-free formulas served up in refillable aluminum bottles. That's my favorite part. You order whatever you need, shampoo, conditioner, they have it all, and they mail it to you in an aluminum bottle. 
It's a really cool system. And by the way, the hand lotion and hand sanitizer I got from them smells amazing and has left my skin super soft. Anyway, once you're done with the product, you can order a refill and you send back your empty bottle to them for free instead of tossing it in the trash. I love this. They also have lots of certifications that we love at Brightly. They're a B Corp, Leaping Bunny certified, cruelty-free and vegan, and they're also a member of 1% for the planet. And Lisa, you know I love a good certification. It really authentically demonstrates how committed a company is to doing good. Yep, and so far, Plain Products has kept over 200,000 plastic bottles out of landfills and oceans, thanks to people like you and our listeners who care about the packaging waste they generate. Good Together listeners can get 20% off their purchase by using the code BRIGHTLY at plainproducts.com. That's P-L-A-I-N-E, don't forget the E, products.com. This episode is brought to you by Real Paper, tree-free toilet paper made from 100% bamboo. Our community has been asking us about paper-free swaps for items around the house, so this alternative to traditional toilet paper is right up our alley. I don't know about you, Laura, but I always run out of toilet paper. Me too, and I love that real paper delivers direct to your home while also using plastic-free packaging. It makes stuff so much easier. Also, while you probably haven't considered the environmental impact of your bathroom habits, unfortunately, over 27,000 trees are flushed down the toilet every day across the world. That's a lot of waste. And by using paper that comes from bamboo, you're supporting a product made out of renewable, eco-friendly resource. It's also super soft, and I couldn't tell a difference between the 100% bamboo paper and what I'm used to. Good Together listeners get 25% off your first order by using code BRIGHTLY at realpaper.com. That's R-E-E-L paper.com. You know, I confess, I had to watch True Cost. I think I watched it three times. Mm -hmm. And the last time I was on the panel discussion after the movie, at that point, I was like, okay, that's it. No fast fashion for me. Mm -hmm. You know, even if I can barely afford it, I I do not care. I just like, I do not buy this thing unless it's ethical. There were like, obviously, of course, we're not perfect. Like a couple of exceptions, especially when I was looking for my friend's wedding outfit. I went to, not Target, one (laughs) one of the stores because I just couldn't find an ethical alternative. Or it was just super, super expensive. And I knew that I would wear it probably just once. And that was pretty terrible. But again, yeah, it takes years to do this. Absolutely. So the third thing was the magic wardrobe number. So yeah, actually really, I like that, that point a lot because I'm sure you're familiar on Instagram. There's this really intense, I, I think, association between ethical fashion and minimalism. Mm-hmm. Like an ethical fashion wardrobe means you own 10 things, no prints. <laughs> it has just a very specific aesthetic. And I just really wanted the reader to know that your magic wardrobe number could be 300 pieces of clothing. I would argue that you probably will never in your entire existence wear that much clothing. But I just wanted to make sure people felt like you can love fashion, you can have your own personal style, and you can still be a conscious consumer. So it's more about understanding that aspect of where you fit on the spectrum. Are you a minimalist? 
Are you more of someone who needs like a midsize wardrobe? Are you really someone who craves having novelty? Because if you do, there, there are other things you could do. Maybe you could buy more of your wardrobe secondhand, or if you, and this is definitely a pre-COVID piece of advice, but if you do a lot of events and you're constantly having to do things in fashion or entertainment, you need to be seen in different outfits, you could rent instead of owning that piece or buying that piece. There's so many options there. When you were talking about Instagram, I was remembered. I want to give a shout out to one of my favorite clothing pieces. It's actually by Known Supply. They make clothes from Uganda and Peru. I own very few dresses or summer dresses because we live in San Francisco. So never too hot here, except for a couple of weeks ago, as everyone knows. I went on trips for my work to multiple countries in Africa. And then the following year to India... And I just found myself wearing the dress all the time just because it's so comfortable, so nicely fitting me. And I was like, oh my God. And of course, we had to take pictures with artisans, with partners that we were working with. They were all over our Instagram company, Instagram and my Instagram. It's like, wow, it looks pretty bad. But I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I love this piece. It's amazing and it's ethical too. But it, it is so difficult in the age of social media to not care about these things. I totally understand. But yeah, to find a clothing piece, and I'm absolutely not a fashionista, Definitely not. So I think it, it makes things a bit easier for me, for sure. To be sustainable in terms of your fashion choices, you absolutely do not have to be minimalist. We actually had a kind of like capsule wardrobe 101 webinar during the pandemic with one of our Brightly ambassadors, Brightly Scouts. And she said exactly this. You don't have to think that to be sustainable in your fashion choices, you have to be minimalist. You don't have to only wear neutrals, you know? Yeah. What would you say? I know it's a, it's a pretty difficult question, but what would be the kind of number one step in terms of developing your conscious closet? I start the book with a closet clean out because yes. everybody owns things that they no longer want. We all own too much. I mean, I can say that, right? That's almost a near universal experience in the United States is people just have Absolutely. a lot of clothes and it's free. It doesn't involve you laying out any money. And I also think that Cleaning out your closet is a really, really good opportunity to understand more about your clothes. So there's there's a step in the book called the Wardrobe Impact Inventory, where I invite people to go through and just look at, you know, maybe 20 pieces of clothing in your closet and look at where they're made. So look at the made-in label yeah. and then look at what fibers you're wearing. And people are always surprised. I mean, you'll see Places represented, you know, Turkey, Vietnam, Indonesia, Ethiopia, Bangladesh, China. Our clothes are made out of so many different materials now. So all sorts of different synthetics and natural materials and things blended together. And I think that that's honestly just a very fascinating process. It really helped me and I, and I see people go through the same experience, start to understand one, how complex our clothing really is and how it is connected to everything and everywhere. It's a reminder of how important what we wear really is. And then from there, the book is just full of all sorts of tips about how to be a mindful, conscious donator. If you're giving away clothes, there's a right and a wrong way to do that, which we often don't hear about. Like if you think about the Marie Kondo tidying up, 
Yeah, where do her, these things go, right? Right. Her approach is get rid of it, put it in a trash bag. And then like on the show, there would just be like, you know, a big truck, a dump truck would come and pick it up. And I think there was maybe one episode on her TV show where it showed them donating things. But, you know, it's like, let's have a conversation about where all that stuff is going, who it's impacting, and how you can be more intentional about where your things end up. Can we talk about this briefly? So what is the best way? I know even me, myself, like I did a closet clean out, I think a year ago. Mm -hmm. And so first I tried to take it because I had some pieces that were literally just special dresses that were worn like once or twice in a really good condition. I tried to take it to a secondhand store. They didn't take it, unfortunately. So I got no money for it because they were out of season or style. They were like not trendy mm -hmm. enough, basically. Because interestingly enough, they were looking for more trendy brands, as one can imagine. Right. And then, yeah, just kind of dumped it into the donation bin uh, that we have here locally in San Francisco. So tell me what yeah. I did wrong. <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong. I don't want you to feel that way about it. Like, I mean, I do think that people should try to sell their clothes if they can. If you have anything valuable in your wardrobe, you should absolutely recoup the costs, the money mm -hmm. that you put into it. And you can put it right back into building your conscious closet. Your experience is not uncommon. The pace of fashion has impacted the secondhand industry too. So they're often looking for designer brands. I don't know, it's just sort of ironic. I think the most important thing that people can do is make the extra effort to donate things that are clean and in good condition. And I know you're probably thinking, yeah, I already know that. But I spent probably a year working in a sorting facility and I was running a resale business. I can tell you that most people don't do that. So people donate things, again, going back to that missing button, with button missing, with a small snag, they'll donate things with pet hair, you know, tissues in their purses. Like, I think the problem is that people have so much stuff that they get overwhelmed when they have to get rid of it. So that's another thing that I say in the book is you really do have to make time for this process because it's not quick to do it mindfully. And that's another way my advice really differs with Marie Kondo's approach because cleaning out your closet is its own process and it's time intensive to do it carefully. And I expect people to make the time to sew that button back on, get that piece of lint off, tie your shoes together, clean the insoles of your shoes. Like you have to do all of that stuff because I promise you it, it makes the difference between something going in the garbage and something getting reworn. Many episodes I've talked about how essentially we have to go back to the old ways, to the ways like how our grandmothers used to do yeah. things in order for us to be sustainable truly, and which mm -hmm. was not even like a thought for them, right? This is how they did things. They repair clothes, they know how to sew, they know how to take care of their shoes even. Right. So let's yeah. talk about that. How can I make my clothes have a longer lifetime? Maybe like your main tips. So one of my favorite chapters in the conscious closet, because I ended up learning a lot, was I wrote a whole chapter about laundry. And what I yeah. discovered is laundry is very cultural and the way we clean clothes varies greatly from country to country. 
and within communities and cultures. So the American way of doing laundry is to overwash clothes. So if you've worn something once, it goes into the laundry That's machine. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> I don't right. do that. I'm probably on the bad side of things. I'm not cleaning enough, but yeah. One, one. No, I, I think that we are massively overwashing our <laughs> clothes and we're conditioned to believe that that's hygienic, but that's just, it's just not true that if you skip some washes, you know, of course, I'm not referring to underwear and socks and gym clothes. I'm talking about just your outer layers. Overwashing, first of all, it has a huge environmental impact. I think that most of us are not fully aware of how much water our washing machines consume. I did not know how much energy it took to pump water into our homes. I had no idea. Like when I think about water consumption, I, I'm aware that you're not supposed to use a lot, but I didn't really even, even think about the fact that it had like a climate change component to it. Oh yeah. I post a quiz of the day now, our ambassador community, and I just learned that, and correct me if I'm wrong, it takes between 15 to 35 pounds of water for just one laundry. And it varies, of course, between different laundry machines, like high efficiency ones, like this, the best ones can use as few as like five pounds of water. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, that sounds about right. There is a really big range. And then the other thing that I discovered is that it's really our tumble dryers that in terms of energy consumption, like especially American dryers, because they're big and they're very high heat. Like anyone who's laundry in Europe knows that it's really, really different in other places. They don't use the same energy inefficient machines that we do. We don't um, even have, I mean, I grew up in Russia and I never even knew what a dryer is until I came to the US. Like, right. never and in my life. <laughs> isn't it crazy? Like, when you talk to people about air drying here, like, they're just like, what? what? Like, how exactly. could I ever do that? And I do, I, we used to do it in Russia in, like, in the middle of winter. So, like, my mom <laughs> would put stuff either in the in the bathroom or in the balcony. And, yeah, mm -hmm. it would take days to dry, but that's kind of the only way we knew how to do it. Yeah, and I mean, going back to why we went down the laundry path is it's better for your clothes to not overwash them. We were talking about clothing care and yeah. how you make mm -hmm. your clothes last longer. I think for people who wash their clothes less, personally, I've just become almost like evangelical about it because my clothes look so much better. They don't, they're not faded and misshapen, either shrunken or, I mean, machine washing, it's, don't get me wrong, it is incredibly convenient and I don't intend to give up my machines, but like just cutting back and only washing things when they really, really, really need to be washed is an easy way to reduce your environmental impact. And it'll, I promise you, it'll make your clothes look better for longer. Yeah, no, that's a great tip and so, so, so important. So let's talk about one of the kind of most popular topics within our community. A lot of the ethical brands, unfortunately, but for also for a good reason, they're obviously more expensive, not very affordable. So how do we deal with the financial cost of trying to build a conscious closet? Or, you know, can you do it on a budget? I mean, this is one of the main reasons why the conscious closet it's pretty long for a how-to book. It covers a lot yeah. of ground and shopping, buying new stuff is a very small part of it. So yeah. in this conversation, we have already talked about so many things that people can do to be more sustainable that are free. So you can more mindfully clean out your closet, donate things more carefully. You can learn to mend. You can learn to refashion and upcycle your own clothes you can change the way you wash your clothes. 
Um, but eventually we all come back around to the question of like, okay, but I want something new. What do I do? I just want to say that I'm going to give you my opinion on this, but everyone has to decide for themselves. Yeah. One of the reasons why I'm working on the pay up campaign is because I feel like it's really important to reform the mainstream fashion industry because that is the option for most people. That is where most people shop. And until everyone has access to ethical and sustainable fashion, how can we call this niche movement that we're building truly ethical if it's only available to a certain group of people? I so agree with you. Uh, you know, fair trade, ethical businesses, I don't want them to be just available to um, quote unquote 1%, right? I yeah. want it to be available, affordable, accessible to everyone. And we actually just had an episode about kind of what big brands are doing good mm-hmm. things for the environment, for sustainability. The true fact is, is that the giant corporations like Zara, or we were talking about like Apple and Amazon, they literally have their environmental and social impact is comparable to the impact of countries, not companies, you know? So if they do one small change, the reality is that their impact will be vastly more impactful than anything that hundred thousands of small ethical brands will ever be able to achieve. Right. And I, I, you know, the pandemic for me has been and everyone else, it's been such a wake up call, because to your point, like, should we even have fashion brands that have make as much money and have as much powers as countries? As long as the fashion industry is arranged that way, the small companies, that's what they're up against. You're competing against companies that have the power and influence of countries, and they can drive down wages. They really set the standard that everyone else has to compete against. It all goes back to we have to have both, like obviously fiercely protecting a space for ethical and sustainable fashion and slow fashion is so important because we know that is what sustainability looks like. It's not what these huge brands are calling sustainability, but we absolutely at the same time have to reform the mainstream industry. Like it's gone too far. If the situation is not getting better, we can't as advocates just bury our head in the sand. One of the things I love about the pay up fashion movement is it gives people really easy ways to participate in systemic change. Like right now, if you go on to payupfashion.com, You can just sign the petition supporting our action plan for for change. I think we need to start having the conversation about reforming the big guys. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Policy change is so important. Actually, one of our upcoming episodes will be on activism, what you can do to vote for the things you believe in, how you can talk to brands, because as you said, it's so important to reform how systems work. Well, we're coming up to the end of our interview, and we love to ask a few questions to our guests. You've shared so many actionable tips already, but can you share um, a few more actionable tips on how one can live ethically? It doesn't have to do with fashion, just like a few things that our listeners can kind of implement in their day-to-day life to live more ethically and sustainably. The ethically piece of that, it's one that I wish that I had a a quick answer for, but I think that just in the last seven months, people have gotten kind of a better understanding of what that looks like because the pandemic exposed the massive inequalities in our society. And even the way the pandemic impacted people, 
was very uneven. So, you know, you see people doing things like donating to organizations, whether it's for racial justice or economic justice, voting in different leaders. Like when it comes to ethical living, I think we all know that the writing on the wall is that we need systemic change. Yeah. Beyond that, in terms of supporting brands that are ethical, one campaign I'm really excited about is these two ethical brands called Nisolo and Able. They're both yes. American brands. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I just talked to Nisolo a couple of days ago and we're in touch with Able. I love them and I love it. Talk about what they're doing. I love what they're doing. They make pretty things, which is important. But they, they, started, <laughs> they started this campaign, I think it was in 2019. Yeah. Um, Show us your wages or the lowest wages yep. challenge to encourage transparency in supply chains. So what they're asking is really simple, which is just for brands to publicly list what the lowest paid garment worker or supply chain worker is making in their supply chain. And with the idea being that this would help inspire change across the industry. Just so listeners know, I think they're the only brands that are doing something like this. So that that really just shows you kind of how far we have to go. But, but the fact that they're getting the conversation going like gives me a lot of hope. I think you answered like three of my last questions <laughs> in this one question. Yes. <laughs> I ask you, what are the actionable tips and two favorite brands and what excites you the most? So you, you answered oh, all well, of I mean, Tell I'll us, say yeah. my... Yeah, I mean, with masks, I've been buying all my masks from Custom, yeah. Custom Collaborative in New York City because they, they Custom this, like, Collaborative. Yeah, they they have this training program for immigrant women to break into the fashion industry, and so all of them switched to making masks, and they just have these like gorgeous masks. So that's a company I've been supporting throughout the pandemic. What was the last one? What makes me most excited? Yeah. What excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? Gosh, the conversations have just gotten so real in the last yeah. few months. Like we are unpacking everything. We're unpacking how racist the industry is, like how unequal the industry is, how privileged ethical and sustainable fashion is. Yep. So that's what it's going to take. We have to deconstruct, unpack, strip everything down to the bones and really analyze what's not working so we can move forward in, in the right way. So honestly, like as, as hard as these conversations are, they are so, so necessary and long overdue. And I really think that it's going to help us put real meaning in the phrase building back better. Having those real conversations about racism and inequality and sustainability and women's rights, like all at the same time, that's what it's going to take for us to build the fashion industry we all want to see. I love that. And it's it's so, so true. Well, it's a great way to end our conversation. How important is to have these conversations and how important is to create change and systemic changes is what we're looking for. Thank you so much for being with us, Elizabeth. I really enjoyed our conversation. I did too. It's such a delight to chat with you.
Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.